The following recording is brought to you courtesy of Braille Institute of America. Thanks to the generous contributions of private donors, all of our programs and services are offered completely free of charge. If you would like to find out more about us, please call us at 1-800-BRAILLE. That's 1-800-272-4553. Or visit us online at www.brailleinstitute.org. We hope you find the following Braille Institute recording enjoyable and informative. Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing? We are so happy to have you here today for these. uh, We have two phenomenal speakers for you guys today. And uh, the first one will be about glaucoma, the second about cataracts, which if you live long enough, everybody's going to (laughs) get. We're so glad to have you here today. Um, I just wanted to say if you have your, you know, if you're reserved for lunch at 12, you know, after the seminar is over, you just go across the courtyard to the cafeteria, and that's where your lunch will be. And it's only two bucks. And uh, and outside, if you go outside for the restrooms, if you go outside of the doors to the right, and you'll you'll go down a little bit, and the restrooms are there. And now I'd like to introduce the director of marketing and PR, Miss Mrs. Courtney Castle. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Carmen said, my name is Courtney Castle. I'm the Director of Marketing and PR here at Braille Institute, and I just want to take this time to welcome all of you and thank you for coming out today. Uh, today, we'd like to welcome one of our newest community partners, Scan Health Plan. Scan's a not-for-profit organization focused exclusively on helping make life better for seniors. For more than 30 years, they've demonstrated a unique passion for finding innovative ways to enhance seniors' ability to manage their own health and continue to control how and where they live. Today's SCAN is the the fourth largest not-for-profit Medicare health care plan in the nation, serving more than 130,000 members. Braille Institute's partnering with SCAN this year to help increase awareness about all of our free low vision services that are out there and designed to help seniors with low vision live fulfilling lives. We'll be working with them throughout the year to host a variety of educational events and seminars in the community, as well as to introduce the public to some new and exciting programs designed to foster overall health and wellness among seniors and people of all ages. So we'd also like to extend our gratitude to our continuing community partner, and all of you guys have heard about them, Enhanced Vision. They are the group that's going to be sponsoring our Staying Connected with the Pebble Drawing today. And if you haven't already had an opportunity to sign up for the Pebble Drawing, please do so at the break. It's a great device. It's a handheld magnifier that you can take with you on the go. It's valued at $600, so it's a great piece of equipment. Uh, We're going to be doing that drawing at the end of the seminar today at noon, but you must be present to win. So don't cut out on us if you want to win the Pebble. Before we begin the program, we have a quick presentation that we want to make about an exciting new product developed by our digital media production department. So please join me in welcoming digital media director, Ryan Honey. Thanks, guys. How's everybody doing today? Good, thank you. I'm just going to take a minute of your time to uh, show you an exciting thing that we've done here at Braille Institute. How many of you... How many of you have smartphones or know somebody with a smartphone? That's a Google device or an an iPhone. There we go. So we've got a handful of people here already who have smartphones. That's great. Well, what we've done here at Braille is embrace the technology of smartphones and apps. Apps are little programs that run in your smartphone that do specific things. 
And we've developed an app that we call a vision simulator. So for those of you living with glaucoma, cataracts, macular degeneration, or diabetic retinopathy, uh, we've developed a simulator so that friends, family, loved ones can understand what it is that you're going through, uh, or for doctors to be able to show people who are recently diagnosed with these conditions uh, what it is to expect from their vision. So uh, for those of you who do have some vision on the screen behind me, I'm projecting uh, the image off of my iPad, which is essentially a large smartphone. Um, I'll describe it for you if you don't have any vision, and I'll just walk you through it real quick. So you click on the Vision Sim app, you get a list of diseases. There's macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma, and cataracts. So we'll start with macular degeneration. We'll click on that. And as you can see, an image comes up. And let me just start at zero. So what you're seeing here is people in the front row. And there's a small black dot in the center, which symbolizes the early stages of macular degeneration. And I can turn up the slider, and you can see the disease progresses all the way to the point where there's just a little bit of an image at the very edge of the screen. So we'll go back and we'll do diabetic retinopathy. And as you can see, the image comes up and when it starts out, it's not so, uh, it's not so bad. And then as you progress, the disease gets worse and worse and worse and makes your vision very difficult to see. Also, we have cataracts here. You can see cataracts and as we progress simulates what it is to see with cataracts. It gets all foggy and uh, a little bit desaturated. And uh, the other one, we'll do the last one real quick, is glaucoma, which is the opposite of MacGen essentially, where you lose your peripheral vision. So as you can see here, the image gets smaller and what you're left with at the end is just a pinpoint to see through. So that's the simulator we have. You can also take pictures inside the simulator and send it on to friends or family. And uh, it's very easy to get this. It's free. We have flyers outside uh, where you can actually just scan the code on the flyer to your smartphone. It'll automatically download it. Or you can go to the App Store and, and type in Braille Institute, and this will come up. And we're in the process of doing a very, uh, really major update to it. We're going to include six more eye diseases. We're going to have a vision acuity simulator, um, tips you know, for uh, if, if you think someone might be experiencing one of these conditions, what to look for. So a lot more information is coming. We hope you guys will use this tool to uh, let your friends and family know about how you experience the world and encourage others to, uh, to use it so they can uh, have a little bit of, of empathy and understanding of what it is you're going through. Quick question. Yeah, go ahead, sir. Uh, yeah, RP is one of the new diseases that we're doing. Yes. In back? Yep, that's one of the updates we're doing. Currently, uh, once you're in the camera, uh, which is the screen you see here now, we're actually in the simulator. This, the earlier pages work with the voiceover, uh, the, the, which is the accessibility built into the app or the iPhone and the iPad. This page doesn't. So we're, we will be fixing that and they will, it will, of course, be fully accessible. So thank you for that. Okay, guys. Download the app. There's flyers out there, and I appreciate you giving me a few minutes. Thanks so much.
great for us just so that everyone could hear and enjoy the seminar today. Uh, it's now my distinct pleasure to introduce our first speaker of the day. Dr. Michael Berlin is the founder and director of the Glaucoma Institute of Beverly Hills. He's a board-certified ophthalmologist specializing in laser surgery and in the research and treatment of glaucoma. Dr. Berlin received his Bachelor's of Science degree cum laude from the University of Michigan, where he also completed his residency training and received a Master of Sciences degree in ophthalmology. He then completed specialty glaucoma fellowship training at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York, where he also served as a clinical instructor in the Department of Ophthalmology. Dr. Berlin is currently an associate clinical professor at the UCLA Jules Stein Eye Institute and is a member of the American Academy of Ophthalmology, the American Glaucoma Society, and the American Society for Laser Medicine and Surgery. He's researched and published numerous books and articles on glaucoma and laser surgery and is regularly invited to lecture at professional conferences both in the United States and internationally. Today, Dr. Berlin will be presenting his talk, Glaucoma, What It Is and How You Can Prevent Blindness. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Michael Berlin. It's certainly an honor and a privilege to uh, be with you today, and uh, I'm so proud of the facilities here at the Braille Institute. There is such a, an abundance of resources for everybody who is uh, of limited vision. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal to have it available to us, and please uh, uh, help your friends who also have vision issues know about this institution, and uh, come visit, come see what the resources are, and uh, avail yourself of the services that you can uh, learn and benefit from here. It's a joy to speak to you today about glaucoma. Let's see if I can make us work. There we go. Uh, what it is, how you can prevent blindness. I'm uh, Dr. Michael Berlin, uh, professor of clinical ophthalmology at UCLA and director of the Glaucoma Institute of Beverly Hills at Cedars. You're welcome to contact us and my staff. Noel and Evan are here for any questions afterwards. Let's see, better up here. Maybe. Perhaps. Uh, Thank you. Uh, just uh, since you know we're all in Hollywood, there are some special things that uh, we in Hollywood love to do. And uh, thanks, today. And uh, one of them is to watch television, right? Or at least listen to television. Uh, so one of our favorite TV shows, one of mine is the Disney Channel. And one of my favorite uh, shows in the Disney Channel is when we take ourselves into Never Never Glaucoma Land. So I want to tell you a story today from glaucoma land. What is glaucoma? Glaucoma is a condition in which the uh, intraocular pressure, the pressure inside the eye, is too high. So I want to talk to you today about how the eye works, what glaucoma is, what goes wrong in glaucoma, what types of glaucoma there are, who's at risk, what you should do, finding glaucoma and treating glaucoma. How does the eye work? Well, the eye is just like a camera. If you uh, think about it, the, the front of the eye has a lens like the camera, and the back of the eye, in the old days we used to say it would have film, but now we say it has a megapixel detector. So light has to go through the eye and is detected in the back of the eye. Once the, the light's detected, then the information is transferred from light energy to electrical energy and is sent to the brain, and we then interpret that as an image we can see. How does the eye work? There are special parts of the eye, the cornea and the lens, the cornea, the very front portion of the eye, and the lens act as a camera system to focus the light to a single point. Too much or too little, and you have an out-of-focus image. The iris and the pupil. 
The iris X is a shutter that can open or close to limit the amount of light that can be let in. Too much light and it constricts to a small circle to restrict as much as possible. Too little and it dilates to let in more light. The retina is like the film in a camera. It turns the electrical signals in uh, light into electrical signals to pass the information to the brain. The center of the retina is called the macula. We talked about macular degeneration. This is the part that uh, becomes abnormal. It has the highest resolution, say like a 10 megapixel camera. Further out to the sides, there's less resolution, say like a one megapixel camera. The eye is, set, is uh, separated into chambers. The anterior chamber is the space between the cornea and the iris, and it's filled with a liquid called aqueous humor. The posterior chamber is between the iris and the lens, and that's where, the, that's where this fluid is produced. And the vitreous is a space between the lens and the optic nerve, and it's filled with a, a vitreous gel. Glaucoma results from increased pressure in the eye, which causes damage to the retina and the optic nerve. What is glaucoma? Open-angle glaucoma is an eye condition where damage to the optic nerve results in loss of visual field, your side vision. Although the cause of the optic nerve damage is not completely understood, there is a correlation between an increase in the intraocular pressure and the visual field loss. Elevated pressure and open-angle glaucoma is often a result of outflow obstruction of fluid. Let's see if I can go back. Bingo. Glaucoma is a chronic disease. Successful management critically depends on careful clinical monitoring, so you need to see your doctor regularly. Control requires lifelong compliance with treatment, and glaucoma is certainly controllable, but not yet curable. 67 million people in the world and 4 million people in the United States have glaucoma. Approximately 120,000 are blind from glaucoma, accounting for 9 to 12% of all cases of blindness in the U.S. Glaucoma is the second leading cause of blindness in the U.S. and the first leading cause of preventable blindness. African Americans aged 45 to 65 are 15 times more likely to go blind from glaucoma than Caucasians. Worldwide, the total cost of drug therapy and other forms of treatment and managing complications are $3 billion a year. So what goes wrong in the eye to cause glaucoma? Pretty much the whole kitchen sink. What goes wrong? Fluid flow in the eye from the posterior chamber to the anterior chamber is similar to flow in a kitchen sink. There's a faucet to create the aqueous and a drain to let it escape. The ciliary body, which is located behind the iris, is the, is the actual sink, the faucet. It allows fluid to flow around the lens, through the pupil, and drain back to the bloodstream through the trabecular meshwork. And the aqueous is this fluid that provides nutrients to the cornea and pressure to provide stability to the structures of the eye. The trabecular meshwork drains the aqueous into Schlem's canal back into the veins. It's located just at the junction of the cornea and the sclera where the clear portion meets the white portion of the eye. What goes wrong in the eye to cause glaucoma? Either the faucet is making too much fluid or the drain isn't removing it fast enough. In the sink example, the fluid would overflow. However, in the eye, instead of overflowing, the internal pressure of the eye increases. Since the eye is a sphere that has uniform structure except for one place, the pressure-sensitive weak point is where the optic nerve exits the eye. Like a tire that has a weak spot in it, what happens when you increase the tire pressure? Well, you get a bulge. That's right, an air bubble. The same thing happens, a bulge happens inside the eye. This bulge, when viewed from the inside instead of the outside, is a depression. Increased pressure in the eye causes damage to the optic nerve. This gives the optic disc a cupped appearance. 
Cupping indicates nerve cell death and loss of side vision. So you have a normal nerve looking like this, looking like this, side, vision, side view and top view. When you press on it, you cause a depression, and this gets pushed backwards, and it looks like that. And this is what we look at when we're, when we're looking at your eye to see how much damage you have from glaucoma. So the pressure pushes this region into this region. This is the nerve that goes back to the brain, and it's being compressed and killed, and here there's no nerve left. So here's an actual picture. This is glaucoma. Increased pressure causes this little dimpling to become a huge dimpling, and the amount of nerve fibers here that carry information to be destroyed until there's almost none left. It's irreversible damage to the optic nerve. Glaucoma is actually a family of diseases. Open-angle glaucoma, closed and narrow-angle glaucoma, secondary glaucomas, pigmentary and traumatic, congenital glaucoma in children, and normal tension glaucoma, in which the pressure isn't high, but the nerve is susceptible to damage at lower pressures. Open-angle glaucoma is the most common type. 80% of people diagnosed with glaucoma have open-angle glaucoma. It's caused by an overproduction of aqueous or deficiency in outflow, as we discussed. It's a chronic disease. It cannot be cured, but it can and should be treated. Untreated open-angle glaucoma can cause a loss of side vision over time. This gives glaucoma the nickname the sneak thief of sight. Again, fluid is flowing from the ciliary body around the lens into the trabecular meshwork but it's blocked most often here and can't get out. Therefore, the in elevated pressure in the eye causes damage to the back of the eye. Open-angle glaucoma is the most common form of adult glaucoma and can lead to loss of vision or blindness. This type of glaucoma can only be detected by your eye care practitioner through a routine eye examination. Open-angle glaucoma occurs when the eye's drainage system becomes clogged over time. A part of this system, called the trabecular meshwork, is a tiny spongy tissue that allows fluid to leave the eye. This structure is situated in the eye's angle where the iris and cornea meet. When this drain becomes clogged, aqueous fluid cannot leave the eye as fast as it is produced, causing the fluid to back up. This backed-up fluid increases pressure in the eye and can cause damage to eyesight. If open-angle glaucoma is not diagnosed and treated, it can cause a gradual loss of vision. This type of glaucoma develops slowly and usually without symptoms. Narrow-angle glaucoma is another form of glaucoma. In narrow-angle glaucoma, the outflow region is narrow and the aqueous cannot drain fast enough, again causing the pressure to rise. Like a curtain, which is flat when it's closed, but thick when pleated, the iris becomes thicker when the pupil enlarges and can block the outflow pathway. If untreated, this can progress to angle closure, a sudden increase in the intraocular pressure, which causes a rapid loss of vision. Angle closure is a medical emergency. Here, you can see as the iris uh, enlarges in darkness or in a movie theater or at night when you're sleeping, it can block the outflow channel suddenly when the sink is on and the faucet is now suddenly blocked, the fluid and the pressure will increase very quickly causing pain, blurred vision and uh, potentially an acute loss of vision which is permanent. A small percentage of people with glaucoma have a condition known as narrow angle glaucoma. 
This type of glaucoma can occur slowly and progressively or very quickly and can only be detected through a comprehensive eye exam. Narrow angle glaucoma usually occurs in far-sighted people because they tend to have anterior chambers that are smaller than normal. In cases of narrow angle glaucoma, the iris can bow forward, thinning the angle that normally drains the eye. As the angle becomes smaller, fluid backs up, and pressure in the eye or intraocular pressure begins to rise. If narrow angle glaucoma is not diagnosed and treated, it can cause loss of vision. In some cases, narrow angle glaucoma can lead to an emergency condition known as angle closure glaucoma. For more information, ask your doctor about narrow angle glaucoma. Secondary glaucomas are glaucomas caused by a local disorder in the eye, a general disease, or use of medication which can cause an increase in eye pressure. These include increases in the size of the lens due to cataract, inflammation in the eye, use of topical or injected steroid medications. Pigmentary glaucoma often occurs in younger patients caused by the peeling of pigmented cells from the iris when it moves or comes in contact with the lens. There's a free-floating pigment particles which settle on many structures in the eye, but most important is regular meshwork, and they can block the outflow of humor, aqueous humor, similar to peeling carrots into a sink and suddenly, eventually blocking the drain, causing a backup of fluid. This is what pigmentary glaucoma looks like when you see the pigment deposition on the, on the drain, and this causes elevated pressure. Traumatic glaucoma is glaucoma that's caused by injury. Trauma can damage any structures of the eye, including the trabecular meshwork of the ciliary body. Glaucoma can develop immediately after the trauma or many years later. Trauma can be caused by a penetration, a BB or a blunt injury, a tennis ball or a fist, and uh, even traumatic injuries like sports in which uh, eyes are directly injured. Congenital glaucoma in childhood. What do you notice about this child's eyes? Is one of them larger? Can you see? Yes, it is. This is caused by a malformation of the drainage structure in the eyes before birth. Unlike the adult eye, in which the uh, sclera, the, out part of the outside of the eye, is rigid, the child's eye is very soft. The infant tissue is stretchy. Increased pressure leads to an enlarged, distended eye, and the stretching can cause damage to maniacular structures. Congenital glaucoma occurs more frequently in males, and it's important to notice if you see an eye, a size difference that the child be examined. Normal tension glaucoma <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> is a type of open-angle glaucoma in which uh, a lower-than-normal pressure results in damage to the nerve. Most glaucoma patients' optic nerves tolerate pressures in low teens. In normal tension glaucoma patients, they require even lower pressure to avoid damage. Now that you know everything about the different types of glaucoma, who is at risk for developing glaucoma? Everyone. Everyone is at risk, but some, some groups of people are at higher risk. Which groups? People over 60, it's important to begin looking for glaucoma at age 40, though. In African Americans, even earlier, blindness due to glaucoma is three to four times more likely. At age 70, there's a 10% prevalence versus a 2 to 3% for whites. Glaucoma occurs earlier, and it's more advanced when discovered. So especially if there's any family history, we need to know about it. Who's at risk? Hispanic Americans. Asian Americans are at greater risk for narrow-angle type glaucoma. People with a family history of glaucoma, people with diabetes, people with previous trauma to their eye, 
Are you at risk? If so, what should you do? If you have any of these high-risk groups, you should be seen annually by an ophthalmologist or optometrist. Become informed. There are many websites and books designed to teach you and the patient about glaucoma. Call the Glaucoma Institute. Call us. Call the Braille Institute. Go online. Don't delay. Glaucoma slowly steals vision. Most people don't recognize that damage has occurred until it's already too late. What should you do? What should I expect when I go for a glaucoma screening and an eye exam? Hint, testing is more advanced today than just that air puff thing from many years ago. What do we look for in glaucoma? We look at intraocular pressure, we look at the function of the eye, and we look at the structure of the eye. Although most doctors will vary slightly, examinations will include a medical history, vision testing, refraction. The doctor will also examine your eyes with a microscope called a slit lamp. This allows them to closely examine the structures of your eye. And the first and most relied on means of detecting glaucoma intraocular pressure will then be measured by your doctor. The doctor may use one of several different devices to measure your intraocular pressure. The most common one is Goldman tonometer. It's uh, a small blue cone that will gently painlessly touch the surface of your anesthetized eye. There's a tono pen, which is a handheld pen that the doctor lightly taps in the front of your eye to determine your pressure. And there's an, an aura, an ocular response analyzer, which is a newer generation of air puff that takes pressure readings without even touching your eye. The doctor will record a number that's your intraocular pressure. Normal intraocular pressure is in the mid-teens. Pressure in the 20s is suspicious and could mean ocular hypertension or glaucoma. The number alone is not the only thing that's important. If both eyes have different numbers, they're asymmetrical, this can also be suspicious for glaucoma. The second part of the glaucoma examination is to look at the function of the optic nerve. This is done by testing the side vision or visual fields. Damage to the optic nerve causes loss of side vision. This loss cannot be recovered, so it's important to treat glaucoma before visual field loss occurs or progresses. Although there are many people dislike these visual field tests because they seem long and boring, they're very important tools to determine if the functional glaucoma damage has occurred. There are two main types of visual field testing your eye care professional may perform. That can be a Goldman manual visual field test in which a skilled technician uh, will perform this test manually. It's reserved for patients with advanced glaucoma or other problems that prevent them from doing an automated test, or the automated visual field testing, which is the most common form performed by a computer. Several different tests can be performed to determine the loss of function, including screening for glaucoma or following glaucoma patients to evaluate for stability or worsening. This is a typical visual field test for an automated machine. Here we have a normal visual field, a normal blind spot, which is where the nerve goes to the brain, and some, some uh, shading in gray from your eyebrows and from your nose. In glaucoma, the blind spot gets darker and larger, grows a tail toward the nose. In even more severe glaucoma, larger and darker. And in very severe glaucoma, very little vision is left. So we monitor the progression of glaucoma patients to see where this happens. The third part of the examination is to look at the structure of the optic nerve. Increased pressure in the eye can cause nerve death, which appears as optic nerve cupping or depression, like that a tire with a weak spot. Looking from the inside, it's a depression. The degree of optic nerve cupping is noted as a ratio between the amount of nerve that is damaged, the cup, to the amount that is healthy, the disc. For example, a cup to disc ratio of 0.3 to 0.5 is normal, whereas a ratio of 0.85 means marked damage. Here is again a normal optic nerve, normal depression. Under pressure, this is pushed back, more tissue dies, and it becomes to look like this. So from 0.4 to 0.8 is an abnormal progression in glaucoma. 
several methods in which your eye care provider may examine the structure of your optic nerve, looking at the nerve with a microscope, photographing it, or imaging it with many new devices. The slit lamp uh, is used commonly to evaluate the nerve. We use a microscope with a lens to take uh, a, a, an image or take a photograph of this nerve. We can also use devices to scan the nerve. A Heidelberg retinal tomograph machine, an HRT, or an ocular coherence tomograph, OCT, will scan the nerve and give us varying images. Both the OCT and HRT use laser light to scan several layers of the optic nerve and retina. These scans are then interpreted and measured to produce highly repeatable measurements of the optic nerve cupping, and they're more precise over time than our pictures can be. Testing is repeated yearly to monitor progression and structural damage to the optic nerve. An HRT scan shows precise images of the 3D representation of the nerve, and we can then look and see, is this a normal nerve? This is normal nerve cells. This is the depression. And this is an image showing a 3D reproduction of the optic nerve, giving us a very good idea of how it looks. An OCT, again, takes a nice scan image. Here's where the depression is. We can measure these depressions and then over time determine if the measurement changes to see if there's progression and we need to improve our treatment paradigms. Arriving at a diagnosis. After testing, the doctor will analyze the results of these tests for pressure, structure, and function. There's also a scoring tool for assessing risk. We look at the risk factors, age, pressure, central corneal thickness, visual field deviations from normal, the cup to disc ratio, and uh, issues like diabetes. What happens? My doctor just told me I have glaucoma. What do I do now? In the past, little could be done for glaucoma. Treatments included several drops with many side effects or surgery. Today, we have many, many more and safer options. There are medications, lasers, and surgery. Medications, both topical and oral, but they require patient compliance and they often have side effects. Lasers will uh, lower pressure over time. In the office, we have side effects that we have to watch also for these treatments. And surgery, when the more uh, uh, benign treatments are not available or in, are inadequate, we then can take the patient and uh, create a, uh, a surgical procedure to lower pressure. Medications, five different families, prostaglandins, beta blockers, conobionic anhydrous inhibitors, alpha-2 selective agonists, and myotics. The biggest problem with the drops is noncompliance. Patients miss taking many of the medications. 40% miss 10% of the doses, and 15% miss more than 50% of the doses. That's a big problem. Laser treatments, selective laser trabeculoplasty and narrow-angle glaucoma, laser iridotomy. The newest laser surgical option for the treatment of open-angle glaucoma is called selective laser trabeculoplasty, or SLT. During the SLT procedure, your doctor directs a low-frequency laser beam into the trabecular meshwork, which is the primary drainage region of the eye. The SLT laser selectively treats specific cells, leaving untreated portions of the trabecular meshwork intact. This procedure increases drainage of aqueous fluid out of the eye, lowering pressure inside of the eye. SLT is typically painless or results only in minor discomfort. After the procedure, the patient is typically treated with eye drops for a couple days. Most patients are scheduled for a return visit within a few weeks to reevaluate. One important thing about uh, any laser treatment is although it is a treatment, glaucoma needs to be monitored very closely. If you are diagnosed with angle closure glaucoma, 
Your doctor may perform laser iridotomy to relieve the pressure that is building up in your eye. In order to prepare for surgery, your doctor will place drops in your eyes. These drops restrict the pupil and make it easier for the laser to penetrate your iris. Your doctor will then use a laser to create a tiny hole in your iris. This hole provides an alternative pathway for fluid to drain out of your eye. In most cases, your doctor will make the hole in the upper part of your iris, a section that is hidden beneath your eyelid, so there will be no visible scarring. After the procedure is completed, you may return to your normal activities. In many cases, your doctor will perform laser iridotomy on both eyes as a precautionary measure. Surgical treatments most commonly today are trabeculectomy and tube shunts. In trabeculectomy, we're creating an opening that allows fluid to drain through the eye into a pocket or a cyst uh, on the outside of the eye to, to uh, decrease pressure in cases where we can't do it otherwise. There are significant post-operative risks, including leaks, infections, too low pressure, scarring, and more rapid cataract development. So we reserve these procedures for serious glaucomas that don't seem to respond to other treatments. And then we have implants, which are we call tube shunts. We put a tube into the eye and create a pocket of fluid outside of the eye, again, to promote drainage. So which is best for you? Should we do medication first, then laser surgery? Laser first, then medication, then surgery. Medication first, then surgery, and then laser. Or surgery first, medication and laser. After discussing all of these options, your eye care professional, with you together, will make a plan to save your sight. This will depend on your lifestyle needs, progression of the disease, and therapeutic preferences. The future of glaucoma. New glaucoma medications and treatments with less compliance issues causing less structural damage are on the horizon. New medications include combinations, preservative-free drugs to prevent allergies, injectable drugs, and new technologies, one that I've developed, eczema laser trabeculostomy, the trabectome, mini shunts. This is uh, one I'm very proud of. It's an eczema laser trabeculostomy. It's used in Europe, but we haven't yet got approval in the United States. Hopefully, it'll be here soon. This uh, uses the same laser as LASIK for refractive surgery to open channels in glaucoma. It restores natural outflow channels without cutting a hole through the eye, and it's uh, proven successful in Europe. We're presenting papers on this uh, in the American Glaucoma Association. We just presented one at the American Academy of Ophthalmology. Here we use a laser with a fiber, and the laser creates an opening in the drain, basically like putting a plunger in your sink and uh, reopening the drain to allow the normal pipes to carry the fluid and eliminate the pressure. The procedure takes about five minutes in the operating room and restores normal outflow pathways. What I noticed about the surgery was nothing. I felt nothing, except I came. I had a plaster over my eye for a while. That's no problem at all. But in terms of pain, discomfort, nothing. If one of your friends had glaucoma and had a choice between continuing using drops or having a surgery and not having drops anymore, oh, no, what would you sell them? Surgery. No doubt, surgery. Yeah, quite clearly. Interestingly, uh, especially when people are having cataract surgery, as long as the surgery is going to be performed, having the ELT concurrent with it eliminates all the need for their drops. So what have we learned? Glaucoma is a sneak thief of sight. 
Glaucoma screening is key to diagnosis. If you're over 40, get screened. Treatment with your doctor using medications properly are keys to prevent vision loss. Glaucoma is treatable but cannot be cured, and new treatments are coming. Lifetime team monitoring preserves vision. Thank you very much. Please, questions and answers. Yes, young lady. Thank you. Um, the one, the, with all everything said and done, um, the question that I have is the pressure, what causes your eye to give that pressure for you to have glaucoma? Think, think of the, uh, the, the, the sink. The faucet is running. You can't turn it off. Uh-huh. You have a drain, and you're peeling carrots into the sink. The carrots are eventually going to find their way to the drain. And if there's enough carrots peelings in there, they'll block the drain. So what happens to the water? It increases in the sink. Yeah, but why does your is your eye is it protecting your eye the pressure? The pressure, pressure doesn't is... protect your eye. The pressure actually causes causes problems. If the so, fluid if the fluid can't get out of the eye, mm-hmm. since the eye is like a basketball, it's solid. The higher pressure pushes on the inner wall of the eye. That inner wall pushing causes damage to the nerve and right. eventually kills the nerve. Okay. So our goal so, is to, to we, we have monitored the pressure and then lower the pressure by these various means. And 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 and, and the example that you've created in your in your presentation, it's there's a lot of different things that can cause glaucoma. The pressure that's, that's what correct. it is. Okay, Thank I get you for it. <laughs> yes. We have a question over here. I'm I'm concerned with how fast you talk. Number one. And my brain is trying to keep up with what you're showing on the on the uh, monitor, as well as what you're saying. I'm sure it's very very interesting. But the thing to me that I'm concerned with is that I've been told uh, number one, I've had uh, cataracts removed one in uh, 2007 February, and the other eye uh, September of 2007. During the time the September operation. The doctor noticed that I had on the right eye, I say eyeball, for lack of a better term, uh, three areas, three pimples, he called it. And he said they, they were bothering me before the surgery. During the surgery, uh, they were bothering me quite a bit to the point that he told me he has to break them, put, uh, dis, uh, not disinfectant, but antibiotics in it and wash away to protect the eye. So we did all that. Since then, I was told that I was having medication put in to prevent having glaucoma because they thought I had a form of glaucoma. Now, that was back in 2007. Now, in 2011, almost the end of the year, uh, I was told about a week, about three weeks ago, that no, you don't have glaucoma. Well, then, why am I taking the medication? first medication was dorzolamide, which gave me terrible side effects for 11 months. And I told him, I'm not taking that any longer. You have to have something else. Now I'm taking latanoprost at bedtime. Both of them are at bedtime. Latanoprost was a little easier on my system. But in the meantime, the eye itself, periodically, like last week, week before last, got sharp, sharp pain. 
in the right eye where the three pimples were seen. Yes. And Thank you. Forth. Thank you so much for, for bringing up some very good points. First of all, I apologize to all of you for speaking so fast, but I have so much that I want to tell you that uh, forgive me, forgive me for, for speaking fast. I'm happy to answer any questions uh, otherwise, and uh, I, will, I will promise to speak slower and uh, uh, less time. But I know that you want to know all about glaucoma. The issues that you raise are several. One is a diagnosis of glaucoma. Many times after cataract surgery, uh, you need to use drops to, uh, to prevent inflammation. Sometimes you can respond to those drops, and those drops, the steroid drops, can cause pressure elevations and, and glaucoma. Sometimes the glaucoma isn't diagnosed until afterwards, and it's important to, to diagnose that. The other important issue that you raise in your case is that side effects of the drops are significant. So we have to choose and team with our doctor to find which drops will be effective for you and drops that you'll really use because they don't cause harm, cause pain, cause discomfort, and change the way you want to live. So we have to work together to find those drops. Again, the most important thing that you're doing is you're following up with your doctor regularly to be sure that he's monitoring your pressure and you know what the effects are of the medications, of the pressure, and the other things that will keep you seeing. Thank you. We're just going to take a couple more questions. I had a lady right here. Yeah. Hi. Um, I had um, retinal detachment in, in March, and well, they did surgery twice. In the second surgery, they put in a scleral buckle, and when they did that, my pressure went w- way up. Why did that happen? Think about it as a, a, a basketball or a tennis ball, and you're going to put a string around it and tighten the string. What happens to the, to the pressure in that ball when you tighten that string? What happens? The pressure goes up. Well, it's the same thing with an eyeball. If you, if you squeeze it too much, you're going to cause pressure elevations. And when we do retinal detachment surgery, one of the things we have to be very careful of is how much squeezing we do and the effect of that squeezing, which can and, and usually does raise pressure. If the pressure doesn't become normal again, we have to then fix the pressure to prevent other damages which can occur besides the retinal detachment, and that is glaucoma. That's, that's called a form of secondary glaucoma. So, yes, it's important that, that you follow up with your doctor and that we control that pressure. May I? Okay, may I? we have one more. We have a couple more questions. This gentleman over here had his hand up earlier. Okay, here you go. Uh, two, thing, two questions. Uh, does blood pre- high blood pressure have anything to do with the glaucoma? And the second question is, what can I do to uh, uh, try to prevent glaucoma? Uh, thank you. There are very two, two very good questions. What's the relationship between blood pressure and glaucoma, high blood pressure and uh, high eye pressure, and what can we do to prevent glaucoma? Well, the first one is uh, bl- high blood pressure and, and high eye pressure are indirectly related. Hypertension is not a cause of glaucoma, but sometimes you need higher blood pressure to have circulation in the eye to, to prevent glaucoma, in fact. So we have to monitor blood pressure. We work with the medications you're using for your blood pressure also in controlling your eye pressure. Uh, no, they're not related, but they both need to be measured and followed concurrently. Uh, what can I do to prevent glaucoma? Well, most often you have to choose different parents. <laughs> if, if, you, if you can't do that, then the issues are to, at age 40, be monitored. Be sure that you are, are, know that you're not at high risk. If you're in one of the higher risk groups, you certainly want to be more careful. And there was a wonderful question. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. Uh, for, I know, I know that we'll be, we'll be limited on questions. I do want to answer as many as I can. 
uh, feel free to contact me via our website or via our office or via our staff, and uh, I'll be around afterwards to uh, to answer other questions. I know Dr. Devgan has phenomenal information for you on new cataract surgery, which you absolutely want to know about. So let me introduce him. Let him have a chance to speak. And if you have, you have another question for me, okay. Mine is related very closely to the last gentleman's question. Certainly. And it's about blood pressure medication. And it seems that how would a diuretic blood pressure medication have a side effect of causing glaucoma? Would that lower the pressure too much? Well, in fact, in patients who have what's called normal tension glaucoma, if we lower the blood pressure too much, then we lose the circulation in the eye. And two important things about glaucoma are one pressure and two circulation. We need enough blood in the eye to, to, have, to have the nutrients replaced and the waste taken away. So a, a diuretic uh, uh, drug for blood pressure can lower the blood pressure so much that the eye becomes affected. Again, it's often a balance between we, the ophthalmologists, and your internists to balance your blood pressure and your eye pressure. One of the most important things for people to realize is blood pressure is a diurnal change. It changes in the morning and night. And eye pressure is also a diurnal change. So oftentimes when we measure eye pressure or blood pressure, we want to know what it is in the morning, we want to know what it is in the evening, both blood pressure and eye pressure. So if you're monitoring your blood pressure at home, you should monitor it when you get up, you should monitor it when you go to bed, so you have an idea what's happening over the day. If it's too high or too low, either one of those times, they are risk times. Your internist needs to know. And the most important uh, answer to your question is we need to work together. Thank you. Thank you so much. Everybody, please join me in thanking Dr. Berlin. Again, a joy to be with you. Please enjoy Dr. Devgan. I'll be here afterwards for questions. Thank you. Now, everyone, we're going to take a quick five-minute break. Uh, please do take that time. If you have not signed up for the Pebble Drawing for the free $600 Pebble handheld magnifier offered by Enhanced Vision, please take this time to do so. Or if you want to use the restroom, please be back in five minutes, and Dr. Devkin's going to start his presentation. Thank you. All right. So welcome back from the short break. Uh, it is now my pleasure to introduce our next speaker of the day, Dr. Uday Devkin. Dr. Devkin received his bachelor's degree from UCLA, and attended the USC School of Medicine, where he earned his MS with the highest distinction. He is currently Chief of Ophthalmology at Olive View UCLA Medical Center and an award-winning Associate Clinical Professor at the Jules Stein Eye Institute at UCLA, where he trains surgeons in techniques of ocular surgery. Dr. Devkin has been honored as a Fellow of both the American College of Surgeons as well as the Royal College of Surgeons in England. He's an international expert in cataract and refractive surgery, having lectured in more than 40 countries, teaching thousands of surgeons his techniques. He has a private practice, Devkin Eye Surgery in Los Angeles, with a surgery center in Beverly Hills. Today, Dr. Devkin will be sharing his talk, Like Gray Hair, We All Get Cataracts. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Uday Devkin. Good morning, guys. Just a show of hands, has anyone had a cataract surgery already? Oh, so you guys know it's so easy. And then for, the, for everyone else, are, people have, how many people have glaucoma? And then how many people have a retinal problem, macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, diabetic retinopathy? Okay, great. Well, let's, let's start. This will be a fun talk. There's a lot of good audio visuals, too. We said earlier that I am yeah, I'm chief of ophthalmology at UCLA's largest teaching hospital. So every Thursday, all the surgeries we do are free. 
We do, so they're all charity surgeries. Certainly if you're ever up in that part of the valley where all of you is, it's the county hospital for the entire valley. And then all the surgeries we do on Thursdays, it's me teaching the UCLA doctors how to operate, and I'll often even hold their hands. But yeah, those are all free, and I'm happy to help anyone. And then I do teach it at UCLA, as I was explaining, and then in my own private practice not far from here. You know, there's a whole scope of eye care with all these specialists, but kind of the one thing that everyone has in common is everyone's going to get cataracts one day. So these are, this is a map of the U.S. and all the places I've lectured. I've been really fortunate that I've been to 45 countries and counting. The last two were, were here in, uh, in uh, South Africa and uh, next door where I spoke just this summer. And then the next one coming up is in Abu Dhabi. So I get, I'm really fortunate in that regard. Well, what's the number one cause of visual impairment worldwide? It's ca- exactly right. It's cataracts. You know, my name, my name's, my first name's Uday. My, pa- my family's from India, and my first name means sunrise. Well, the sad thing is, in India, cataracts are so common that it's a huge cause of blindness, that if every ophthalmologist in India operated cataracts 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and never slept, they'd never finish the backlog of cases. So clearly, this is a big worldwide problem, and there are many people that do end up eventually losing their vision from a treatable cause. On the map here, I did a trip out to Tonga in the South Pacific. It's a small country, an island nation of 100,000 people and zero ophthalmologists for the country. And so we went last summer and I did 50 cataracts a day. In seven days, we did 354 of them, which is a pretty good clip. And we made a huge impact on the, the people there because... They had gone blind from cataracts, and as you know, it's a simply uh, a simple surgery to fix that. So what is a cataract? Well, it's not a growth or a film or a this or a that. As Dr. Berlin showed you, the eye is just a camera, a really simple camera. There's a lens in the front, and there's a film in the back of the camera. The cataract is the lens of the eye gets cloudy. So a clear lens is called a clear lens. A cloudy lens is called a cataract. If you have a camera and the lens is so cloudy, the only way to take a good picture is to take out that cloudy lens and put a new lens in your camera. And that's all a cataract surgery is. So who gets the cataracts? Everyone. Exactly exactly right. Everyone in this room, me included, will get cataracts. And we'll all, if we are lucky to live long enough, have cataract surgery. I've even done cataract surgery for my own mom and dad. Don't worry, I gave them a discount. No, I'm kidding. They paid for my med school. I had to do it. So cataracts are a normal part of aging. So as we get older, typical age for cataracts, 60s, 70s, sometimes 80s. But it can happen earlier, especially when there are other um, eye problems at the same time. So this is a picture showing that cataracts develop gradually. The top row are the lenses taken out of a kid's eye, and they're barely visible because they're clear as water. And adults in their 30s or 40s or 50s get a little bit more cloudy. And as we get older, this human lens just goes from totally clear, thank you, to very, very cloudy. Well, what are the symptoms of cataracts? 
I actually liked that Braille Institute app for the, your iPhone or for your Droid phone. I'll have to download that because that was a very accurate representation. So initial symptoms are blurring of the vision. This is a picture of a flower in my backyard and it's totally blurred. Here's glare and light sensitivity. It's kind of washed out. It's too hard to see. A yellowing or decreased color. And then ghosting or double vision. And then finally, you can get clear vision returned after the surgery. Well, what are the types of cataracts? There are various types. and That basically is a way for doctors to describe how the cataract looks, whether it's cloudier in the center, more towards the periphery, or more towards the back part of the lens. Regardless of what type of cataract, the treatment's the same. Well, what are the causes? What causes a cataract? Well, number one is aging. You had too many birthdays. And so you can't avoid that. But also UV light, sun exposure. I'm really good about sunglasses because UV light, the same way you know that the sunlight can damage your skin, cause a sunburn, and cause you to, to look too wrinkly prematurely. Same way that sunlight can actually cause cataracts. So if you got a guy who's a commercial fisherman, he's out in the sunlight every day, and he gets a double exposure of light directly from the sun and the light that bounces off the water, the ocean. He gets double the exposure. Or skiers who don't wear sunglasses, they can get cataracts very early, 30s and 40s. Genetics, as, as Dr. Berlin was saying, who would you choose for your parents? Some families who just get cataracts a little early. Smoking. Smoking is a very big risk factor, not just for cataracts, but also for macular degeneration. Did you know that stopping smoking has a more beneficial effect on macular degeneration than all those multivitamins that people take now? So smoking is a huge issue. Trauma, of course, you get poked in the eye, that can cause some cataract. Certain medicines, if you take corticosteroids like prednisone for rheumatoid arthritis or for your asthma, those can induce cataracts too. And then diabetes or other diseases like this can also cause these types of changes. Well, what eye diseases cause cataracts? Diabetic retinopathy can certainly lead to earlier onset of cataracts. RP patients, if you have retinitis pigmentosa, RP patients tend to have cataracts much earlier on than their counterparts. A recent patient of mine is a, a kindergarten teacher with RP, and she's in her 40s and had very significant cataracts. Um, the injections or surgery for macular degeneration. Any retina surgery, a side effect is it may cause cataracts later. But the good part is cataracts are easily fixed. Certain glaucoma surgeries, this is a t difficult one, that can cause it too. Retina surgery. Well, when do you need cataract surgery? And the answer is, you tell me. If you're doing okay and the cataracts aren't really affecting your vision too much, there's no need to do anything. But if you say, yeah, I've noticed my vision's gotten worse, my doctor said it's because cataracts, and yeah, you're right, I, I, my vision was better before, it may behoove you to say, yeah, if the cataracts are affecting my ability to do what I need to do, whether it's cooking or watching TV or reading a book or interacting with my kids, then we should consider it. And so here on the picture, the left eye shows a very cloudy cataract. That's a very yellowy lens. That's typical. And after surgery, the pupil is nice and clear and black, as it should be. And that's 
after the procedure. So cataract surgery, can it fix other eye problems? Well, in general, cataract surgery is to fix cataracts. But there are some other beneficial effects. So in certain types of eyes with certain types of glaucoma, cataract surgery can actually lower the eye pressure. In people with extreme glasses prescriptions, like glasses that are inch thick, in cataract surgery, when we take out that cloudy lens and replace it with a new man-made clear lens, I can put any power lens I want in that patient's eye. So I can incorporate even those super thick glasses into my cataract surgery. So people, even who had glasses that were literally an inch thick, after surgery, can have minimal glasses or no, no glasses. So here's just an article I've written about that. And there's certain special techniques you can also fix astigmatism or other things. Well, what about other eye conditions with cataracts? So as we talked about the eye being like a camera, yes, if you have a camera and the lens is bad and the film is bad, well, changing the lens will help, but still you're limited by the film or your camera. So if you have glaucoma alone, you have this type of loss of peripheral vision, but the glaucoma plus the cataract makes it even worse. So removing the cataract can certainly improve the vision to a degree. What's the patient experience like? When I first came to this office... I'm sorry, I have a good couple of interesting videos from a, a voice that you may recognize. It's from a TV show I used to watch all the time as a kid, Happy Days, it's the Fonz, it's Henry Winkler. When I first came to this office, I literally could not see out of my right eye. My cataract was so deep that the machine couldn't even see my retina. They, they couldn't tell whether the retina was damaged or not. My left eye, um, I had okay vision, but I, I still needed to wear uh, glasses. But for two years, I could not see z- zero out of my right eye. Yeah, so he waited a very long time. He waited till he was essentially um, counting fingers vision only, or 20 out of 800 before considering cataract surgery. And why? I asked, why'd you wait? And he says, I was totally scared. And the people in the room who've had cataract surgery know it's nothing to be scared of. It's pretty straightforward. So here's a video of cataract surgery. It's a little graphic. If you don't like this kind of stuff, don't look. But it's brief. It is a real unedited surgery. It's only three and a half minutes. There are no needles in the whole surgery. There's no bleeding. There's no stitches. There's no eye patch even over the eye. Yes, it's done while the body is awake, but the eye is asleep. We make the eye sleep with special eye drops. So that's a diamond that I'm using to enter the eye. And then the cataract is a big, huge, cloudy thing. And we can open the capsule of the cataract. The cataract's like an M&M. We want to open the front of the shell, take out all the chocolate, and leave the back of the shell intact. And in this case, the shell is clear. It's not candy-coated. And so we're opening the front of the shell. And so the patient's awake for this, but the eye's totally numb. What does the patient see? Nothing. They see a kaleidoscope of pretty lights, they say. Someone told me it was trippier than the 60s. 
But since since I was born in 1969, I don't really know much about the 60s. Now, to get the cataract out of the eye, the cataract is about 9 millimeters wide. The incision is 2 millimeters. How do I get it out? The answer is we chop exactly right. We chop it up into pieces and vacuum it right out so I can get the huge 9 millimeter cataract out of a 2 millimeter incision. And so all the patient sees is weird, strange lights, and all they feel is cool water. Because I use cool water in the surgery. And then I rest my hands on the patient's cheek. So if the patient moves their head, I move with them. So just like that, the cataract's already out. So now we'll use another instrument to vacuum away any of this other debris till it's totally clear and sparkly in the eye. And now how do you get a man-made lens in that eye? Exactly right. You roll it up like a carpet and you put it through that tiny incision and then it can open inside the eye. And that's why you can, you can do the whole surgery with such a tiny little incision with no bleeding and no stitches and nothing else. And now here we go. We're gonna, that's cleaning the inside. Now I'm going to put a special jelly inside the eye temporarily. This jelly will just keep the eye inflated. Here comes that jelly. Those little bubbles are no problem. We'll take all those out. And here comes the lens. It's already been rolled up and placed into this little tube. And now we'll be able to put the lens in. The lens has a round part and two arms. There's one arm. There's the big round part. It just opened up. And here's the other arm. And that keeps the lens centered. So there has two arms to keep the lens perfectly centered. And so that's not an issue. Remove that jelly that I put in the eye and those air bubbles. And now to, to seal up the tiny incision... No stitches are needed. We'll just use some saline, some little salt water, just to kind of hydrate that area. And like that, we're done. And the patient can see within 10 minutes of the surgery being finished. No patch, nothing. So it's a lot different than it was before. I will tell you the one thing that you're struck by is a sense of confidence of the people who work here. There is just a sense of, I actually know what I'm doing. <laughs> there is a sense of professionalism, but there is a sense of warmth. There's a sense of calm. And this is every human being that works here in this office. Um, I just said this to, uh, to Dr. Devkin um, uh, a little while ago. There is a gentleness from the, the staff where you just are put so at ease. Now remember, Dr. Defkin is going to break up my old lens in my eye, remove the pieces of the old lens, and put a new lens in. The incisions are made with diamonds so that there's no bleeding. The entire procedure took six minutes when you're thinking about this lying in bed just before you go to bed, before you go to sleep, you're thinking, they're going to break up my lens and take it out piece by piece. Oh, can I rethink this? <laughs> but first of all, you're put so at ease. And I want to tell you something. Every single thing that the doctor told me beforehand was true. I felt nothing. I felt nothing afterwards. You feel no pain. There is no bleeding. 
uh, and the, the uh, and I will repeat again, the duration of time is so short that you 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 can't wrap your brain around that you now have got a new lens and and uh, I came back here and I now I think I have 2020 vision again in my right eye and I I could not see with uh, when I walked in here. Yes, it's interesting. The surgery now is very very brief, certainly in experienced hands. But every Thursday when I'm teaching the new doctors how to operate, the UCLA doctors. It's normal for their very first cataract surgery to take two hours. So you can go from two hours to just a few minutes as you get more and more experienced. So what are the new advances in cataract surgery? Well, technology changes with time. This big, huge thing here is a gigabyte of data in 1991. This little chip here is a gigabyte of data in 2006. My phone now has 64 gigabytes. Before, 64 gigabytes would take up a room. The technology improves. Same with the machines. Our first machines for cataract surgery were very antiquated in comparison to our newer machines, which are just amazing. So every generation of technology gets better and better. Look at the TV I grew up with as a kid where you had to go and turn the knob, and you turn it too fast, and the knob breaks off, and then my mom yells at me. And it had that weird round tube, and now it's what? These flat screens that I see at Costco every time I go there, they're fancy. Same with the lenses for the eye. The older lenses weren't nearly as good as these newer lenses. What are the new techniques? Well, we can break the cataract up, which we kind of showed you before. We can limit the amount of, uh, of energy we put in the eye. We can do it gentler and gentler. We can fix astigmatism at the same time. Um, diamond knives we were talking about little diamond blades these are really pretty they're gem quality diamonds the only bad thing with a diamond is that they're just super expensive you know my set of diamonds is more than costs more than my car yeah and again no more patches anymore no pirate patches and here's the new lenses we showed you how the lens goes in this is interesting to see again the lens is folded up very tiny like an accordion almost or a rolled up carpet and as we put it in, you can see here comes the first arm going in the eye, coming out right there. And then there's the round optic, that's the part we see through. And then here's the, the other arm. And those two arms just keep the lens perfectly centered for us. And so now you have a lens in the eye. Um, I've designed my own instruments, but we also now going to smaller and smaller incisions. So it becomes a very gentle procedure. We're doing laser now, and Beverly Hills, our surgery center, is the first one in California to have a laser that does part of the surgery for us. And it makes it just more accurate. Anesthesia, there's no needles, no injections at all. Just eye drops. Very mild sedation, patients are awake. The choice of lens that went into my eye, uh, I completely... Uh, trusted the doctor and he said here are your options this is one that I would not go with here's the reason why this is not for you I believe this is exactly right for you there was not even a moment of doubt there was not even a moment of discussion if you're here if you come to this place and Dr. Devkin has a suggestion allow me to say your answer should be, okay, because this is, I mean, this guy is like one of my heroes now. 
you know, Steve McQueen for uh, in the action movie, uh, and Dr. Defkin in the um, in surgery for your eye. Uh, I'm not kidding. This guy is. He's so on top of the material. It is, it is like to him, it's like making a delicious sandwich. I love a sandwich. You know, a great chef making a delicious meal. He enjoys it. He takes pride in it. He um, he gets excited about um, each step of your recovery. He is um, he's a phenomenal man. Actually, I forwarded that to my mom so she can feel better. Because when I was a kid, I was a little bit snotty. So, no, I didn't do that. So, new lenses for surgery. There's some new lenses that, that correct for other things, like a camera lens would, like sphere collaboration. So the image quality becomes better. There are lenses that now provide a wider range of focus. On the on the left here, this green is the new lens. You can see the quality of the vision is much better than the older style lenses. And there are new lenses that also can move within the eye like this to give us a wider range of vision. That's the type of lens I put for my own mom. So let's look at some actual case scenarios. Macular degeneration. So macular degeneration, as you know, damages the center of the retina. But the cataract can still affect it. So if you have a lady here and she has macular degeneration, which is limiting her vision, but also has a very dense cataract, well, just doing the cataract surgery can improve the vision to a degree. And that's why a lot of people in the room with other ocular conditions have also had cataract surgery. Remember, macular degeneration affects a small part of the retina, the central 10%. So 90% of the retina in macular degeneration is normal. So after surgery, she can recover better and normal peripheral vision, but her central vision is the same. What about diabetic retinopathy? That can affect the whole retina. And so the cataract, though, could block light even further. So doing the cataract may improve the vision to a degree. You know, these are just a graph of how well do you control your blood sugar. If you have very good control of blood sugar, as you know, the diabetic retinopathy has only a mild effect on the eye. If the blood sugars are very high, sky high, and no one takes their medicines and the diabetes is running out of control, well, it damages the eye very quickly. And so if it's a mild degree of change, you could consider cataract surgery. If the diabetes is poorly controlled, your more important uh, job is to fix the retina. So fix the retina with the, your retina doctor and do those retinal laser treatments. What about glaucoma? We talked about that with Dr. Berlin, that certainly cataracts can affect that as well. What about a weak or scarred cornea? People have scarring on the front of the eye. Well, yes, cataract surgery can help to a degree, um, but it may be limited by the, the cornea. Trauma, here's an interesting case. This patient, if you look at this eye, what's unusual is there's no pupil. It's all brown. There's no central black spot in the eye. He got poked in the eye with a, a, a thorn of a cactus at age three. And he was in another country, and he was never treated. And so as a result, that's scarred up, and he has absolutely no pupil. The vision's completely nothing in his eye. And the worst part of all is, he drives an 18-wheeler truck. And I said, how did you, how, how can you drive an 18-wheeler? I said, don't they check your vision for the exam? He says, oh yeah, I just cheated. 
I said, oh man, please don't drive next to me. When my kids are playing ball on the street, you're going to flatten them like a pancake. And so what we did is we, we, we looked at the design. We said, let's go inside there. We opened up his pupil. And we, we saw that big scar. Then we put a new lens in his eye. And then the before and after looks pretty reasonable. He actually recovered some pretty reasonable vision afterwards. So now I feel a little bit better when he's driving his truck. And then finally, this is one of my favorites. We have a program that any baby in L.A. County who's born with a cataract can have a free surgery up at Olive View UCLA Medical Center. Here's the mom. The mom's only 17. So mom's a baby. And the, the mom had a little tiny baby girl and everything looked okay. And they sent her home from the hospital. And the mom says... Listen, my baby's two weeks old. Something's not right. When I look in her eyes, something's wrong. In this right eye here, what's going on here? So we take the baby to the operating room. There's the baby yawning. Really, really darling baby. Knock out the baby. That's the baby totally knocked out with the anesthesia. And look at the eye. There's a, where the pupil should be is a huge white cataract. So this has to be fixed now when the baby's little... Otherwise, the baby will never learn to use the eye. And there are a lot of causes that can, that can cause this, but the bottom line is it needs to be fixed right away. So I don't do baby surgery the same way as you do adult surgery, because babies are different. So the entire surgery can be done with instruments that are very thin. Each of these instruments is thinner than a toothpick. Uh, the picture here shows an old-fashioned steel knife. I never use those, not even for adults. But on a baby, it just looks so massive. It's almost a crime to poke a baby in the eye with that. Instead, we use this really tiny little diamond right here. And so here's that thin instrument. It's a little tiny forcep, but it's as thin. The whole instrument is as thin as a, as a toothpick. And we can go in and open up that capsule we talked about. Here's my thumb. I have normal-sized hands. I'm not a huge giant. But look how tiny that eye is. The eye is about one-quarter the size of my thumbnail. And so these tiny instruments are very helpful. And then here's the after. So look at that before and after. What a huge difference it can make for this baby. And then uh, there are some other ones with interesting kids. I also have another program where we do any quadriplegic patient don't have use of their hands or feet, can have free surgery with one of these special lenses that gives distance vision and near vision. So now they don't have to worry about putting on glasses to see up close and different glasses for distance. No, they need no glasses for anything now. And so this is one of my patients, Marsha, that we did surgery on where we gave her those lenses in her cataract surgery so she sees far and near, no glasses. So in summary, what have we figured out? Well, State-of-the-art cataract surgery is nothing to be afraid of. Each and every one of us one day will have this surgery. And the patient experience? I was struck um, the first few days that I was able to actually see out of my right eye after the surgery. Color is now so vivid. I thought I saw blue. I didn't see blue. I must have seen blue. You know, I never, I, I didn't see green. I saw gruff. I, I'm telling you, it, it is like it's a whole new world. It is just, um, it's just uh, intense. 
you know, um, and it's so exciting. I'll tell you the uh, if I were going to go with uh, with one word after the surgery, it is gratitude. I am so grateful that this whole thing exists, that you can do it. The miracle of then having your eye back, having your eye back better than it was when you could see really well. The enjoyment of um, reading and seeing and the enjoyment of color. Again, a grateful. I, I would have to say gratitude would be the word if I had to pick one word. And for more info, you can certainly ask me questions or I'm happy to give you my card or certainly Google this. I've got a great website. My website's devganeye.com. And that's it. Any questions from the audience? There's so many questions. I'll let you choose the questions. Okay. Keep your hands up. Okay. Since you're close to me, I'm going to start with you. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you for the presentation. Um, want to know, I've, I've had cataract surgery. I've ha I have glaucoma. Once you've had cataract surgery, does the cataract comes back, come back? Great question. Once the cataract's gone and you have a new man-made lens in the eye, the cataract can never come back. You may get a little bit of scarring on top of that new man-made lens, which we can laser away, but that's not really a cataract again. So once it's done, you're done for life. Okay. Uh, given the improvement in lenses, if one had a cataract surgery, say, 20 years ago, would it be make sense to replace it with a, the new better lenses? Great question. If you've already had cataract surgery and there's already a lens in the eye, should you go back in the eye and replace the lens? I'd say no. In most situations, leave it as is. There's a limited number of times that you want to keep doing surgery on an eye. And so if you're, if you're having good results and there's no problems, leave it be. If it's not fixed, don't, don't, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. A quick example is my mom, I did her surgery two years ago, has these new fancy lenses, so my mom, even though she's in her 70s, has no glasses, period, for far, for near, for computer, for anything. Whereas my dad has an older design because I did his surgery 10 years ago. He still wears reading glasses. So he says, can you just change out my lens? I want what your mom has. I said, Dad, no way, no how. You're okay. Use your reading glasses. Not worth, not worth doing it. Not worth the risk. Um, I had cataract surgery done a year ago. And for about a week afterwards, my vision was a little blurry. Then it, then it cleared. And, but I only had about a month of clearing. And then it started slowly getting foggy again. Huh. And I was told I got a secondary cataract. Yeah, secondary cataract just scarring. Lens. Yeah. Okay. A secondary cataract just scarring behind the lens. And that can be fixed in the office five minutes with a laser. Okay. And then also, when I had the lens put in, it gave me an astigmatism that I never had before. Yeah, that. that so when it, I when I'm out at night, the lights from uh, tail lights, headlights, street lamps—they're going way up in the sky, down to the ground. Yeah, well, it's it's hard for me to say exactly what that other surgeon did, but you can obviously tell. The important thing with cataract surgery is you will see the world every waking moment for the rest of your life through that lens, and through that surgery. So it's not a decision to be taken lightly. 
It's going to affect the way you see everything from the second you wake up to the minute you sleep all day long, forever. Amen. Yes, I was wondering with the baby's um, implant of the lens, does because his eye is so small at the beginning, uh, does that have to be changed as the child grows? And I was going to ask you that about adults, too, if you would change it. What a it great even, question. If it has to be replaced. You know? Yeah, for a baby's eye, the eye does change. And so there, there is an option to change out the lens as the child grows larger. Once the kid is about six, seven, eight years old, the eyes are pretty much adult-sized. And so during your, uh, from age, let's say, seven or eight to, to age 100, no need to change out the lens due to growth of the eye. You could also just wear glasses to accommodate the change in growth. But yes, you're right. The baby eye, a newborn baby versus a three- or four-year-old, there's a big difference in the eye size. Great okay, question. We have one question on this side, and then we're going to go to the other side of the room. Okay. Can you comment at all about the eye drops that are said to naturally remove cataracts, the drops that come out of Russia? Yeah, they're called the, the, the medicine, and there's N acetylcysteine. In a very mild cataract, maybe it'll have a little bit of a benefit. But it's kind of like saying, well, do you have any creams that can reverse the aging of my skin? Well, I have some creams that will make your skin a little better. But if you're 60 years old and you think I've got a magic cream that's going to give you the skin of a teenager, it's not going to happen. So cataracts are an age-related change just like skin changes with age. And so do you, are there drops that may have a mild benefit? Sure. But if you think you're going to get a patient who's, who's like in India, totally blind from cataracts, and you're going to put some magic drops and the cataracts are going to melt away and disappear, it'll never happen. Otherwise, they'd make it in India for three cents a bottle and give it to their entire population. Okay, we have two more. This man. Yes, I had uh, cataract surgery in both eyes a little over three years ago. And... Um, I still couldn't see very well afterwards. I was told in my left eye I had an um, atrophied optical nerve, and then in my right eye I had uh, low blood flow. And I was not tested before the cataract surgeries. They were just done, and I was left with... um, only a little bit of eyesight in my left eye and in my right eye, a little bit of of eyesight. That's a very good point. So the point is that you have to know what else is going on in the eye. In a patient like Henry Winkler, where his only concern is just the cataract, the rest of the eye for him was 100% normal, he could recover 20-20 vision. In other patients where there's damage to the retina, damage to the optic nerve, we tell the patient ahead of time that, you know, in your situation, 80% of your problem in the vision is retina, only 20% is going to be cataract. So yes, we can do your cataract surgery, but understand your vision will be 20%, or if it's 50-50 or whatever. We give patients an idea ahead of time, because if there are other eye conditions, those, as you know, can limit the vision recovery. Okay, we have one question on this side, and then the last question will be on the left side of the room. I have what's called brain damage. I was wondering what happened to my, to my, to my vision that brain damage. 
in brain damage, great question, in brain damage, the eye just gets the image and transmits it to the brain. The brain gets the images from the eyes and puts it together as a composite picture. So if the brain is unable to interpret the signal from the eye, then your vision is very poor because though your eye may work, the brain doesn't interpret those signals correctly to put together that image. So last question. I've had, uh, I've had surgery, laser surgery on my right eye. Can the scar tissue be, the scar tissue, can it be removed? Yeah, if you have cataract surgery, you develop scarring behind the lens. That's oh, I have blood pressure. I have uh, bleeding in an eyeball. Well, it depends on your exact situation, but probably it, in certain situations, yes, others, no. It's hard to say specifically. Okay. But scarring after cataract surgery and needing a little laser to fine-tune that is very common and normal. Even my mom's eye, one of her eyes, I did her surgery, went beautifully, she saw it great, but yeah, a couple months later, vision got a little hazy because she formed a little scar tissue. Five minutes of a little laser time in the office, she's back to normal. And then the scar tissue does not return. Yeah, you can do the scar tissue one a few times, but usually just the once is plenty because you remove the scaffolding upon which the strategy grows. So everybody, please join me in thanking Dr. Uday Devkin for his presentation today. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation brought to you exclusively by Braille Institute of America. If you would like to find out more about us, please call 1-800-BRAILLE. That's one 800 272 4553 or visit us online at www.brailleinstitute.org.